Have you ever done something and later realized you shouldn't have done it? So in an effort to justify yourself and hopefully save face, you say, sorry, that's not like me. A lot of times we can excuse our actions and see ourselves in a much better light than we actually are. That's why sometimes we have to just be honest with ourselves and say, no, that is you. Today, Staff Pastor Stephen DeFazio will be talking about the character trait of compassion in the last part of our series, No, That Is You. Man, we're in this series, and and what we're doing is, if you've noticed, we're going from campus to campus. Uh, Each pastor has a message for each of you, and and, uh, my message, I've shared it in Long Beach, and I've I've shared it in Wiggins, and, uh, you know, we're one church, three locations, and one of the things that's so exciting for me as I get to go from campus to campus is I've really gotten to experience um, just, just... a Sunday morning at all three locations. And I got to tell you guys, we really are one church, three locations. It's the same culture. It's the same feel. You've got people that are doing the same things in all three of these locations. And uh, we've got a great church. You guys are part of something so much bigger than what we can see. And God's still got so much work to do here in Northwood Church. So we're in this series and it's called No, That Is You. And uh, man, I want to talk to you about something that God's been dealing with me about for the last couple months. And before I do that, I just got to ask you a question. How many of you in this room are married? How many people are married? Lots of people in this room are married. So all of you would agree with me when I say that marriage is just amazingly difficult at times, right? <laughs> it, is, it is difficult sometimes. And, and for those of you that are married, you could probably relate to this. Sometimes, sometimes you disagree, right? Sometimes you disagree. It's like, uh, yeah, babe, the, the food is really, really good. I, I don't need to mention that again, do I? Yes, you do, actually. Yes, you do tell me my food is good. And, well, I'm, I'm kind of eating. Or, or sometimes it's a little bit more of a complex type of argument. It's, it's more about, like, you know, what I want to wear. Sometimes my wife doesn't agree with what I wear, like this morning. <laughs> she really didn't agree. And we, we kind of respected one another's opinions and just kept moving. But uh, sometimes the fights are a little bit more intense. Sometimes if somebody was in the room and they had a a camera, they might take a picture and you'd be like, man, that is a title fight promotion right there. I mean, we are just, you know, it's, it's, but we have a good time, um, but it doesn't make it any less difficult at times. And, and a couple months ago, me and my wife were in in an argument. Amy and I were kind of disagreeing about some things. It was a little bit more than a spat, not quite a title fight. And, um, she looked at me and she said, you know, Stephen, I don't think you're hearing me. She said, I, I don't think you're listening to what I'm saying. And I said, baby, I am listening. I hear you. Believe me. I just don't agree. <laughs> she said, no, no, you, you're not listening. She said, you know what your problem is? She said, you lack compassion. You lack compassion. I said, <laughs> baby, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I don't lack compassion. Okay, but the funny thing was, was she really hit me right between the eyes because, as I said just a moment ago, God had already been dealing with me about this thing, and at that moment, I realized the things that I was wrestling with outside of my home and maybe other environments, I was also wrestling with inside of my home with the people that are closest to me, and uh, I'll tell you what, God started speaking to me about some things that I need to be aware of, and I think we're going to deal with some things today that I think God wants you to be aware of as well. A couple things I want to mention about compassion. It's not a moment. It's not something that happens like once and then maybe a couple weeks later and then, you know, maybe a month down the road. It's not like that. It's a lifestyle. Compassion is a lifestyle. 
And compassion is also not simply doing things for the sake of doing them, right? Sometimes uh, we just feel like it's the thing to do and we're like, well, let me do it. And well, yeah, I'm, I'm compassionate. Well, that's, that's actually called altruism. And altruism is a very narrow look at what compassion actually is just a very small portion of compassion. And then sometimes we, we feel this thing inside of ourselves for somebody else. We're like, I feel you, dog. You're like, I feel you, man. I'm, I'm with you. I even, I'm even shedding a tear for you, right? But that's just empathy. And empathy is a, a component of compassion, but it doesn't really cover all of what compassion is. Lots of people think that you can legislate compassion and that compassion can be pushed on to people through a political movement. That's not necessarily compassion. While a political movement can be compelled by compassion, a political movement doesn't guarantee compassion, nor does a social justice movement cloaked in a 501c3. Just because it's some organization that is accomplishing some great things maybe even doesn't necessarily, it's coming from this type of compassion that I wanna to speak to you about today. See, the type of compassion I wanna to talk to you about today is actually a very spiritual thing. It's the character of Christ, not something that we have in and of ourselves, not something that we can develop in ourselves, but it's the character of Christ. And as we begin to seek a relationship with Jesus and he begins to transform us into his likeness, then his compassion becomes us. So really it's a work of God that's happening inside of us. So I think if I'm gonna talk about a work of Jesus, a, a work of God, it's, it's best if we look at the scripture and we look at what Jesus says himself about his compassion. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37, we're gonna, we're gonna read through some things, but before we do, I just wanna kinda of frame this up for you. Uh, there was a culture of religion in Jesus' time, and there was people that abided by the law. This was their religious structure that had also woven itself into just the, the societal uh, you know, status quo. It's, it's what people pretty much lived by. And, uh, Jesus came and he said, I'm going to turn all that on its back. I fulfilled everything that you're talking about, and I've gone beyond it. It's the spirit of the law that I'm dealing with now, and it's through me that you'll know the Father, not through your actions, not through your deeds. Right? So he says, I'm gonna, everything that you believe, I'm flipping it on its back. And, and how many of you know that when you come and try to change a, a, a system or kind of try to persuade somebody to believe something differently than they've believe, been believing for their whole lives, they're like, hold up now, right? Jesus encountered some antagonism. So he walks into this conversation with a lawyer, a guy who was all about his religion. And the lawyer, I believe, even maybe with a little antagonism, starts to question Jesus. And he says, so Jesus, what must I do then to be saved? What, what is it that I need to do in order to, to, to know God? And Jesus said, well, what does the law say? And well, the lawyer said, well, I know the law. The law says you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, right? Strength, right? You got to love the Lord your God and you got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus said, that's right. That's right. So the man says, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? How many of you have asked that question lately? Who is my neighbor? And how do I love them? And coming out of this conversation Jesus has with the lawyer, Jesus comes with a story in the most simplistic genius, in the most, with this infinite wisdom, Jesus begins to tell a story of what compassion, Christ's compassion looks like. So in verse chapter, or excuse me, chapter 10, verse 30, it says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell 
among some robbers. Started off on the wrong foot that day. Some of us start off on the wrong foot sometimes, right? This is a bad day for this guy. They stripped him and they beat him and they departed and they left him half dead. Now by chance, a priest. Now this priest, this priest is, this is a church guy, right? This priest probably wasn't from like a Northwood church type of church. He was probably wearing like one of those white collars or maybe even had some, you know, garb that he would wear, like a, a religious outfit that he would wear. And, and this priest was coming down the road, and, but he, he was a, a religious man. So I would imagine that he would stop and, and, and demonstrate compassion. And what we see is that as he was going down the road, when he saw the man on the side of the road, he passed by on the other side. This is not necessarily hatred. This is the opposite of compassion. Now, what's the opposite of compassion? It's not necessarily hate. It's indifference. This man was indifferent. He didn't look at that man lying on the side of the road and say, oh, man, he got out on me last month. I'm going to leave him right there where he's at. He didn't, he didn't say, oh, I can't stand that guy. There was no thought like that. He just said, I've got no time. I've got to keep moving. And he kept moving and he went around him. Then we see another religious figure come and it says, so likewise, a Levite. Now, here's another church guy, right? Now, I'm believing this guy is probably probably a little bit closer to our church culture, right? Maybe a non-denominational church guy, probably wearing a you know, T-shirt that has his church name branded on the front of it. And, you know, he's pretty excited about what God's doing in his life. And he's going down the road. And when he saw the man lying on the side of the road, what did he do? He passed by on the other side too. This is surprising because don't church people have the character of Christ in them? Don't church people do what Christ calls us to do? Aren't we compassionate people? It's so easy to just walk by, but this guy's got to have an excuse. He's got a good excuse. I know it. So we know, as according to the scripture, that they were on a road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. So I imagine this man was coming from Jerusalem. Now, that's a, a decline in elevation. He was probably walking down from Jerusalem across rocks and dirt and sandy terrain. He might even roll his ankle and he was probably limping and, and he probably just preached his socks off in, in Jerusalem and he was headed to Jericho. He was going to go serve at the orphanage. He had a good reason. He wasn't stopping at Starbucks drive through to grab a coffee. He had, he had a good reason. And some of us are sitting here in our chair thinking right now, we're like, yeah, yeah. He had a good reason. I, I have a good reason. I have a good reason. And, and I bet if somebody who was in need would look at this man and say, man, I, I don't see a good reason for you to pass me up. I bet if Jesus looked at this man and measured his actions, he might not say that he had a good reason to pass that man up. And still that he passed him up and still maybe we would pass a man up, yet we would say, no, that's not me. But I gotta say, looking in the mirror, know that is you. When you look in the mirror and you honestly say what you would have done, are you going to say, no, that is you too? So I don't want to harp on these guys who are accidentally indifferent though, right? Because we could put that out the way for a second. I want to talk about the hero of the story because I love a hero. I love a good hero. And uh, I want to introduce the next character to you. This guy's called a Samaritan. It says, but a Samaritan, and really this is shaping up to be like a, a bad joke, right? You got a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. They walk into a bar, and it's, I'm not, 
Jesus has something else for us. It's, it's not a bad joke, believe me. And it says, as he journeyed, it came to where he was. Now, you got to know something about the Samaritan. The Samaritan was an outcast. He was a half-breed. He was half-Jew, half-Gentile. He didn't belong to the Jews, nor did he belong to the Gentiles. He was rejected. He was prejudiced against. And the coolest thing about that is that Jesus chose him to be the hero of the story. I love how Jesus looks at the ones who we would never expect. And he says, I'm going to use that one to accomplish my work for them. So as we look at the Samaritan and what his actions are over the next couple scriptures, I think we're going to see a few things. We're going to see four stages of compassion. And we're just going to kind of take this walk with this Samaritan. So the four stages of compassion start in verse 33b. And it says, and when he, we're talking the Samaritan here, saw him. This is the first stage. It's the eyes of compassion. And what I want to do, I want to go to another scripture where Jesus begins to talk about the eyes of compassion. But he gets to the heart of the matter, the main point. He said, let me keep the main thing, the main thing. In John verse 435, he said, look, he said, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus says, the main thing that I'm concerned about is that you're looking, you're lifting your eyes and looking for people, not just for the sake of serving their practical needs, but ultimately the end game, he said, I want souls in my kingdom. And he gets to the point right there in John verse, four, John verse chapter 435. That's the first thing we want to think about when we're talking about lifting our eyes. Jesus has a, an end game in mind, and it's all about souls. But there's a few reasons we don't see the need. I can only look at myself, really, and say, well, I don't feel the need. Some of you might relate. I know the first reason I often don't feel the need is because I'm just busy. I'm a hustler. I got a task list. How many of y'all got task lists? Y'all live off that? Every, you got, I see he's like, I live off a task list, right? We live off task lists. And what they do is they kind of direct our steps. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to be organized people and we need to be task oriented and we need to get the job done, right? But sometimes your eyes are so focused on that task list that you never take time to look up around you and see that the fields are white for harvest. So that's me. I miss things. How about another reason? Pressing through my own problems. Mind is crowded with my own challenges, my own mountains, the own, my own Shoot, sometimes it's just me. I, I, can't, I can't get past my own negative thinking about myself and, and my own worth. And man, I just, I can't see people through that. How many of you got problems? You're like, I got 99 problems. I, <laughs> I can't see people right now. Where am I? <laughs> no, so, some of us, we're just overwhelmed. Life is difficult. Another reason, I just, I had to put this one in here, excuses. I've got excuses for days. I get a call from a buddy on a Friday night. And I know why he's calling me, because earlier in the week, he was talking to me about his marriage, and he's like, yeah, you know, blah, 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 my marriage this, my marriage that. So I know he's wrestling with his marriage. And I'm sitting there on the couch, and he's calling me, and I'm like, Ugh. I'm watching Shark Tank. <laughs> this guy's got a winner. And I don't have DVR. <laughs> I got excuses, man. You know what? Compassionate eyes see the true need, the why behind the need. I know uh, about five or six weeks ago, there was a couple young guys down here in Gulfport. Some of our Gulfport students knew these guys and 15 years old, and uh, they got into some conflict and they didn't know how to resolve their conflict. One of the kids pulls out a gun and he kills the other kid. You know what we've got now? We've got 
a dead kid. We've got a mother who will never see her son graduate. She'll never see her son married. She'll never have grandchildren from this son. We've got another young man who had a future ahead of him, and now he's probably facing 25 to life. His mom's going to be traveling up the road, visit him at the state penitentiary, most likely, for a long, long time. Her life just changed. His life just changed. And it was all because of why. Now, I don't know the details. They obviously didn't know how to resolve their conflict without going to this level. But I can imagine some other things, some other variables. Maybe this kid didn't have a a masculine role model in his life to lead him and teach him conflict resolution, to teach him how to handle things like a man instead of a coward. Maybe, Maybe there was something else going on, fear, depression, maybe there was bullying, who knows what was happening, but something was going on behind the scenes. A week after that happened, one of my old students, I I got the news that, uh, man, I used to invest in this kid and and I just, I gave him so much time. I'd have him sitting at the breakfast bar in my house and we'd be eating sandwiches, talking about life and, and I just found out that he ended his own life. Well, why did he end his own life? Something was happening inside of him. Now, I don't know the details. And I also don't believe or want to suggest that we can go and fix everything for everybody because we can't. But what I do want to suggest is that there's a world of hurt. There's a world of dysfunction all around us. And if we will lift our eyes so that we can see Jesus is saying that the fields are white for harvest and he wants us to go. The second thing... The second thing it says that he had, or in other versions it it would say that he was moved with compassion. This is the second stage. This is the heart of compassion. What happens is it drops from the eyes to the gut, okay? Really, it's the heart, but we start seeing compassion defined as kind of like a gut feeling. And uh, when something drops from the eyes to the gut, you know, you start to feel it, right? Well, One of the things I love about this segment is Jesus, as he's telling the story, he begins to identify with the Samaritan by uh, giving an example of his own character. Because when we look in the rest of the gospel, we see multiple examples of where the gospel account says that, and when Jesus saw someone, when Jesus was on the water and he saw the multitudes on the shore, he was moved to compassion. When Jesus saw those that were following him for three days and they were without food, Jesus was moved to compassion. When Jesus saw the two blind men or when Jesus saw the leper, he was moved to compassion. And so Jesus puts himself right in this story and he says, and the Samaritan was moved to compassion. The thing is, is that Jesus' ministry was three and a half years long. And in that three and a half years, your faith and my faith, so much of what we believe, the foundations of our faith were established in that three and a half years. Now, there's obviously more details to the story, but Jesus was busy in three and a half years establishing what we would run with for the next several thousand years and for however long the Lord decides to wait until he returns for us. So a lot happened in those three and a half years. So Jesus was busy. And yeah, Jesus was meeting with some political figures. And yeah, at 10 o'clock, Jesus had an appointment with the rich young ruler. And, and, and yeah, Jesus was, was maybe having conversations that are familiar to you. But the one thing that I know Jesus never did was he never neglected in the midst of his business, if you will, to tell these people of the kingdom of God. And when he saw these people, the reason he was compelled to tell them about the kingdom is because he was moved towards compassion for them. And he knew that the kingdom, him, 
What he was going to do on the cross was the only thing that could really give them what they truly needed. And he never wasted a moment, no matter how busy he was. Jesus had a bleeding heart. He had what, again, this compassion was referred to as a a gut-wrenching feeling in in his body. And he would see people because he lifted his eyes, then he would see them and he would let it sink down into him and he would feel it. I know when I, uh, when I bought my house years ago, I'm, I'm still in the same neighborhood, O2, been, been there for a long time and uh, I got saved a couple years after I bought the house and I remember when I first gave my life to Jesus and he was just, man, I was fresh. I was like, yes, you know, the, the joy of your salvation, right? And man, I remember seeing as I would drive through my neighborhood, the dope boy or the dope dealer and the dope addicts in my neighborhood. And I remember seeing old buddy in the stained up brown trench coat kind of meandering down the street with a brown bag special. And I remember seeing the woman who continuously had men coming in and out of her house endlessly. Now, I don't know that she was working hard for her money, but I know that's a hard life. I, I, I know that's a hard life. I know these people were living a hard life, and I used to be broken for them. I used to pray for them. I would, I would walk down my street, and I'd be like, God, what can I do? How can I serve these people? And now, years later, I'm married. I've got a two-year-old. My wife is pregnant, and I drive into my neighborhood, and I'm like, man, is this a safe place for me to live with my family? What happened to me? What happened to my heart? Have I become calloused? Do I really have the compassion of Christ living inside of me? I don't know. I think we all have to ask ourselves that question. I do know this. We can miss it really easily. The next stage, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. This is the third stage, the touch of compassion. So Amy has a grandmother, Granny, we call her. I met her once. She passed away at 97, but this woman had a legacy. So she stayed down there on 28th Street, right? We got a campus down there in Long Beach on 28th Street. Head east, cross 49, she's right there. Stayed by a bar. So Granny, she would have Amy and her brothers over, and they'd be staying there for the weekend, and a man would find himself passed out on the front porch or on the back porch, and you know some guy's moaning in the back, passed out drunk, honestly, because they lived right by a bar. And these people would just kind of cross the path of Granny, and Granny would say, oh, don't worry about that. Well, one morning, or excuse, well, I guess it was morning, still dark, but morning, a woman was knocking on the door, said, let me in my house. And Granny said, open up the window, she said, baby, this ain't your house. <laughs> and, and the woman's still banging on the door, and she's like, let me in my house. So finally, breaks the door, unlocks the door, opens the door, and walks in the house, and Granny sees that she's bleeding. She's just pouring blood out of her hand. And she says, come on, baby, come on, sit down at this table. And she sits her down and she begins to dress this woman's wounds. And Granny's just loving on her. And the woman looks up at Granny and says, lady, I don't know who you are and I don't know why you're in my house, but you're the sweetest old lady I ever met. (laughs) Amy's Granny demonstrated Christ's compassion. The Samaritan down in the blood-soaked dirt needed somebody to do that too, or the man on the side of the road. And the Samaritan said, I'll be that man. And he knelt down and he got in the dirt with the man on the side of the road and he lifted his head up and he pushed the blood-soaked hair out of the man's face and he said, I'm here and I'll help you. 
And we have got to get in the dirt sometimes. Sometimes we have got to get into people's mess. And I know we talk a lot about, hey, you don't want to get in somebody's mess. You just bring them into, you know, your safe area. Yeah, and that's true. But we got to still go there and grab them by the hand and lift them up and pull them out sometimes. There were 10 lepers that approached Jesus, and the 10 lepers wanted to be healed, and they said, heal me. Now, a leper's a bad, a bad deal for a, a man to, to catch leprosy. Their skin and their flesh begins to rot off of them. They have this horrible odor because their skin and their flesh is rotting, and they have to walk down the street saying, unclean, unclean. And what would people do? They'd walk to the other side of the road in indifference and move around them and keep going about their day. Well, Jesus knew that these men had lived a very isolated life, and he said, man, I, I want to do something for you. I'm going to heal you. Yes, I will heal you. So he heals these 10 lepers by speaking to them. He said, be healed. Now go and tell the priest that you've been made clean. And I'll bet they danced down the street celebrating what God had done, celebrating what Jesus had done. But another leper we see in chapter Mark, Mark chapter one, another leper singly came up to Jesus and said, would you please heal me? This leper was a little different. I think Jesus saw something in this leper that compelled Jesus to go a little bit further. See, Jesus didn't just speak healing. While he was able to, he didn't only do that. He reached up and he grabbed the face of this leper, I believe. He touched the leper is what the Bible says. He touched the leper and he said, be healed. And I think that Jesus touched this leper as opposed to just speaking healing the way he did to the other lepers because he saw this deep need for intimacy with another human being in this person's eyes. I believe he saw someone that needed the touch of a human being, more specifically the touch of the Son of God. And that man was healed and his life was changed forevermore. So the next thing that we see is the next stage. What do we do after we touch? Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii. Two denarii is two days' wages. And he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. So this is the fourth stage. This is called the walk of compassion. Compassion, lots of times, again, we like it to just be like a moment where we kind of, you know, drop an envelope on someone's desk and be, be blessed, and, you know, I'll see you later. And that's cool. Sometimes that's what we do. But the walk is a little bit different. See, this man threw the guy in his front seat after he mended his wounds by pouring on valuable oil and wine as an antiseptic, and he drives him to the Motel 6, maybe. I doubt he spent too much money on the hotel. And, and he drops the man off, and he compels this other man to, to make sure that he's okay, and don't worry, I will reimburse you for everything. Not only did the man give of his time, but he gave of the most valuable currency that we have in life. Not only did he give of his money, but he gave of the most valuable currency that we have in life, his time. The most valuable currency that we have in life is not money, it's time. And sometimes people just need us to give us their time and walk with them. So Jesus asked the lawyer, as he gets done telling this story, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he, this is the lawyer speaking, says, the one who showed him mercy, right? And Jesus said to him, you go and you do likewise. The one who showed him mercy. If Jesus stood here right now and said, go, 
do likewise. Show your neighbor mercy. What would your response be? What if I told you that that's exactly what Jesus is saying right now? His word says it. His Holy Spirit is impressing this upon your hearts right now. We have got to go and do likewise. So what are some next steps if we're going to go and do likewise? Well, let's start here. We've got to see the need. People are not just positions. People are not just cashiers. They're not just civil servants. They're not just teachers. People are not just members in the church. People are souls. People are spirit beings that Jesus, that God himself wants us to go to and see them for who he sees them for. He created them in his image. You, me, and everyone else was created in God's image. And God wants us to see people that way. We've got to see people. Students, if you're sitting in your cafeteria on lunch and somebody's sitting there in the corner all by themselves, go to that person. They're not just a loner. That's a spirit person. They have a soul, and God wants them to know his love, and he may just want to use you to accomplish that. The next thing we've got to do is we've got to feel the need. Look, Empathy, check this out. This is why it's such a narrow glimpse of compassion. Empathy, do you know that they're finding that empathy is actually found in the animal kingdom? Dogs got empathy. Man, you ever see a dog kind of move the bowl over with his nose? Right here, I'm sharing. That's empathy, right? It's more than that. Feeling the need is not something that we can convince ourselves to do. It comes from having the character of Christ living in us and being us. We've got to get into a place, though, where God can deal with us if that's actually going to be who we are going to be. What I'd like to do right now, I'd like to pray for the church because before we move to the next two, we actually have to get into a place where God does deal with us. And I think it would be appropriate to let him deal with us now so that we can leave here having been dealt with. So let's pray for the church together. Heavenly Father, God, I just lift our church to you, God, your church, God, these people in this room, souls and spirit beings, Father, I thank you for them. God, forgive us, including me. Forgive me, God, for being so distracted. Forgive me, God, for not lifting my eyes and seeing those people that you put in front of us. God, forgive us for not allowing ourselves to feel that need. Forgive us for not opening our hearts to you so you could speak to us about the things that you want us to know so that we can be who you want us to be and love those who you call us to love, God. Change our hearts today so that we don't ever find ourselves in a place of complacency or apathy or laziness, but that we leave here today full of passion, your passion, your compassion for people, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So step three, what's your next step? I think it's this, apply oil and wine. Now, we talk very practically sometimes, and and that's extremely important. We do need to help people with money and finances sometimes. We do need to serve somebody. And we've got a tremendous culture of service here at Northwood Church. You guys are doing an awesome job. We've got serve teams. I see serve team leaders all over the room. You guys are, are, are meeting so many needs in the community. And we'll continue to do that. But sometimes it's easy to just do something and forget to actually keep the main thing the main thing. And I want to kind of have a conversation about the main thing. Applying oil and wine looks like this. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. Oil is a healing, antiseptic property in its physical nature. But when it comes to a a spiritual application, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. 
If we're going to apply oil, we've got to invite the Holy Spirit into every relationship, into every conversation. We've got to ask the Holy Spirit to go before us, give us divine, meaning God-ordained appointments with people so that we can meet these needs, not just physically, and yes, physically, but not just physically, but even the next thing that I'm going to talk about, wine. What is wine? Wine is the blood of Jesus. That's what it represents. So if we're to apply wine, what does that mean? Well, we've got to tell the truth about the gospel. We've got to tell people about Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross and how, how he turned everything upside down and said, you no longer have to do this and do that and, and be good to, to come to God, but you need to come to God through me because I'm going on the cross and everything that you've done or haven't done, I'm going to take that from you. And if you'll turn your heart towards me, I'm going to, I'm going to put my righteousness in you, and because you are now called a son or daughter of God, you can approach the throne of God boldly. That's what Jesus accomplished, and if we don't tell people the gospel truth, not just in church, not just in our small groups, but everywhere we go as we have opportunity to tell people about the truth of the gospel, we are missing tremendous opportunities to see people healed and delivered. You can clap, not for me, but for what Jesus has done on the cross. So the next thing, we got to take the walk. And this is different for all of us. Um, so we, we create environments for you guys every single Sunday. Look, we, we have teams running right now. And you get up on a team and you're going to be in relationship with people. And man, you're walking with people. And you know, sometimes you're on a high, sometimes you're on a low. And everybody's got to kind of support one another. And sometimes we have new people coming into the church who are really in a very vulnerable position. Maybe they're new in their faith or they're wrestling through things. And man, on these teams, we really are seeing a lot of relationships established where people are now walking out their faith. So that's a great environment to be in. I implore you, get on a team if you're not on a team. And if you are on a team, do not serve as if it was mundane. Serve with passion that's compelled by Christ's compassion for the people that you serve with and the people that you're serving. The next thing that we do, as you guys heard um, Rebecca so perfectly explained earlier, is that we've got small groups launching March 6th. If you're not in the small group, man, please get in a small group. A small group is a safe place where you can get into relationships with people at your pace, whatever you're comfortable with, but where you can get into relationships with people where people can support you and pray for you. Maybe you're someone in this room. I, I want to even more specifically talk to some men in this room. Maybe you're some men in this room who feel like you don't have anything to offer. And you're like, what do I have to offer? What can I do? Get into a small group and let God use you and start walking with some people. You've got time to sign up, and there's small groups that are open right now. I know a couple that I would love to join. If I could be in five small groups, I would be, but I chose one and a half. So we got to take the walk, and really, this is, this is our obedience to Christ. So check this out. There's some people in this room right now, though, who might be sitting here like, I don't know that any of this word is for me. I don't know that any of this really is resounding with me. Well, I've got to ask then, who are you in this story? Who are you in this story that Jesus just told? Why don't you guys go ahead and close your eyes, and I just want you to imagine each of these characters and determine whether or not you feel like you fall into one of these categories. Let's start with the thief. You're not the thief. Let me just start there. First off, the, 
The neck of the enemy was crushed when Jesus got on the cross. He put his heel on the neck of the enemy. And when we come here and we lift praise to Jesus, God inhabits the praise of his people and the enemy has no place in here or in the lives of his people. So you're not the thief. You might be encountering some symptoms that have been caused by what the thief has done. Maybe you're the priest or the Levite. Maybe you're somebody that's been in this church or another church for a long time and you've just been going through the motions. I want to tell you right now, going through the motions is, is not where life is found. It's not where healing is found. It's not even where salvation is found. Healing and life and salvation is found in relationship with the person of Jesus as we seek his face and he pours himself out on us, his grace and his mercy and his compassion. And then because we're so overwhelmed with what he's done, we go and pour out on everybody else. So if you're the priest or the Levite in this room, we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to make this thing real for you. But maybe you're the one that's bleeding in the dirt. And you're like, I can't take any of those steps, Pastor Stephen, because none of that makes sense to me. Or I do it and I get worn out and I'm tired and I'm overwhelmed and maybe you're feeling, maybe you're feeling hopeless. Maybe you're feeling helpless. Maybe you're beat up by life and you can't see your way out. Maybe you're filled up with fear and anxiety. But you still haven't felt the healing touch of the Samaritan of Jesus kneeling down beside you saying, I want to help you. I want to redeem you. I want to, I want to take you up out of the dirt that you found yourself in and I want to carry you to a place of shelter where you can find rest and res restoration. Maybe you haven't felt that healing touch of Jesus yet and you know what? With your eyes closed right now, I want you to know that Jesus is right here. He's reaching into your heart. He's extended his hands of grace and compassion and he's touching you right now and he wants you to know what his healing is all about. I want to pray for you, but before I do, I want to know who I'm praying for. If there's anyone in this room who has never experienced the love of Jesus, I want you to throw your hand high up in the air so I can see your hand and I can, I can pray for you and we can pray for one another. If there's anyone in this room that said, I don't think that I actually have been coming to church and actually have been in a relationship with Jesus. I think I've just been going through the motions. I want to pray for you, that you would come to a place where you know Jesus. I see you over here. Where you would know Jesus. I see you in the back. I see you over here. His hands over here. And you would know his love for you and you would know his compassion for you. If there's anyone in this room who has felt wrecked by life, and you need God to just pick you up out of the dirt and set you on a firm foundation, I want to pray for you. Just throw your hand up in the air right now. I see you in the front here. I see you over here on the side. I see you over here. I see you in the back. Bless them, Lord. Bless all of them, Lord. I see you. I see you. There's hands still going up. Look, right now, church, we're just going to pray for all these people that just raised their hands and even the people that, that chose not to raise their hands because they need us to support them. 
Those of you that just raise your hand, please just agree with me as I say this prayer. You don't have to repeat it. Just agree with me. Say, yes, Lord, that's me. Heavenly Father, God, I just lift these people in this room to you right now who have just raised their hand and even those who didn't. Those people who have found themselves in a place of complacency, a place of just going through the motions where they're trapped in religion and they're not knowing the true nature of your love for them, God. I lift them to you, God. I lift those people to you in this room right now that have never known you as their personal Lord, have never known you as King, have never known the name of Jesus as the one who can sort out all of the mess, who can sort out all of the details in their life that they themselves cannot sort out. I lift them to you right now. Just agree with this prayer. Jesus, I need you. I need you to take me, take my heart, Take all of the hopelessness, all of the fear, all of the anxiety, take all of the hurt, take the wounds out of me, Jesus. And I just surrender my life to you right now. I wanna experience your compassion, your love, your grace and your mercy. Just agree in your heart with that right now. You say, Jesus, I want everything that you have for me. And whatever you say, I'll say in return, yes, Lord, for you are good and I trust you with my life. God, forgive me for my sin. Heal me of the consequences of my sin and take it all away from me today. In Jesus' name, I pray and thank you, God. Amen and amen. Come on, let's everybody give it up for those people that just prayed that prayer. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.